Let's go now to the White House, where a critical call underway between President Biden and the Chinese President Xi Jinping. See you in the White House. It seems like every few days, President Biden gets on the phone with a world leader to discuss the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, this week, he's meeting some of them face to face. I call for a, an emergency meeting of NATO in Europe to make the case that uh, we had to be united. On Thursday, President Biden will join other world leaders in Brussels, Belgium, for an extraordinary NATO summit to discuss the war in Ukraine. Member countries have imposed punishing sanctions on Russia and have been sending weapons to Ukraine. And yet, Russia continues its merciless assault. U.S., European and NATO officials are telling us that they have very little visibility into the status of these talks between the Ukrainian and the Russian delegations. About Today, I'm talking with CNN White House reporter Natasha Bertrand. She also covers national security. And for weeks, she has been reporting from NATO headquarters in Belgium, asking officials about what comes next. I talk with her about what to expect from Biden's visit, how drones could complicate NATO's response, and what a possible stalemate in Ukraine could mean for the rest of Europe. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Rind. So, Natasha, uh, where are you right now? I am in Brussels, Belgium, at EU headquarters currently. So we're talking on Tuesday morning here. President Biden is coming on Thursday for this big NATO summit. What is this going to look like? Well, it's going to be a meeting of NATO leaders from around the alliance, and they're going to be meeting at NATO headquarters. And essentially what this is, it's kind of an emergency meeting of these leaders in the face, obviously, of this uh, Russian war in Ukraine. And it's going to be a summit where they can discuss the current state of the conflict, how it poses a threat to the NATO alliance, to Europe, and how they can potentially deter Russia from making any further moves westward, um, particularly concerning to them because of how close the Russian attacks have gotten to the Polish border in Ukraine. He was counting on being able to split NATO. He never thought NATO would stay resolved, stay totally, thoroughly united. And I can assure you, NATO has never been stronger or more united in its entire history than it is today, in large part because of Vladimir Putin. So this is an opportunity for all of the NATO leaders to get together, get on the same page about the defense and deterrence measures that the alliance can take, and uh, just to ch kind of chart the way forward. How are we going to defend those eastern flank NATO countries from any potential aggression moving forward? Yeah, unity seems to be like the big buzzword here that all the world leaders have kind of been using. Is there any sticking points, though, between the, the countries on how to address what's going on there? Well, one thing that they are completely united on currently is the idea that it would be a pretty bad idea to try to impose a no-fly zone over Ukrainian airspace. Mm. That is not something that we have heard virtually any NATO member countries advocate for. But one of the interesting proposals that Poland has actually introduced, um, not formally, but kind of uh, casually over the last several days, is this idea of sending NATO peacekeeping forces into Ukraine. Hmm. And that, we, we think, does pose a bit of a potential problem with the rest of the NATO alliance because the U.S. is already kind of pouring cold water on that. 
uh, saying that the U.S. would not put any American forces into Ukraine. Of course, it is any other country's decision um, if it wants to do so uh, bilaterally. But, you know, the idea is causing some heartburn because of the idea that it could put NATO forces in direct confrontation with Russian ground troops. Um, because if you're trying to keep peace in a country where there is no peace to be kept, uh, then you're essentially enforcing peace, which would involve potentially uh, getting into a shooting war directly with the Russians. Oh, so so President Putin could see Polish troops there on the ground as, oh, NATO is now in Ukraine, we're in Ukraine, and we're going to go after NATO. Is that the concern here? That is the concern. And, uh, you know, obviously Poland has been kind of more out front on this issue because of how close they are to the conflict. It's it's more kind of existential for them than yeah. some other members of the NATO alliance, just given that they are on the front lines of this, given how close they are, obviously, to some of these attacks that, that Russia has waged in Ukraine. I mean, one last week, one Russian attack hit about 10 miles or so from the Polish border. I mean, mm. this is not theoretical for them. It's it's reality. Right. And so after these summits, we hear you know, about deliverables, you know, concrete actions that the group is going to take. Are we going to get any of those this time? It's unclear. The White House has said that they do intend to produce some kinds of deliverables after the summit concludes, that there will be some kind of announcement. And it will be important for them to be able to show something out of the summit because the Ukrainians have just been pleading, obviously, for weeks and weeks for NATO to do more, for them to show that they're doing more, um, given how Russia has just been pummeling the cities across Ukraine um, in really trying to force them to surrender. And so if the, if the president and these leaders from NATO don't come away from the summit with something tangible that they can say is you know, not only to help Ukraine, but also to, of course, shore up the defenses along that eastern flank of NATO, then the Ukrainians especially will be asking, well, what what was this meeting even for? Yeah. And we've seen President Zelensky sort of soften around his demand to secure NATO membership. It would be a really lengthy and complex process, even if the bloc was willing to do it. But he spoke with CNN's Fareed Zakaria the other day, and this really struck me. He basically said they still want a lot more from NATO, way more than just we stand with you, we're here for you, that kind of thing. They are. And I think that this uh, desire by Zelensky to to maybe forego this idea that he's floated to maybe forego NATO membership uh, in exchange for the Russians withdrawing is uh, he's being realistic about it because he has been saying behind, that behind closed doors over the last several months and even years, Ukraine has been told that there is just no chance that they're going to join NATO within the next two decades, right? And so while he has been calling repeatedly for NATO to just shut the door if they are in fact doing so, instead of just straddling this weird in-between space with the Ukrainians kind of, uh, you know, straggling them along. I requested them personally to say directly that we are going to accept you into NATO or NATO in a year or two or five. Just say it directly and clearly or just say no. Then he says it's just not worth it at this point and we should be prepared to forego uh, NATO membership in exchange for other security guarantees from the U.S. and from the West. But if we were a NATO member, a war uh, wouldn't have started. 
So now I li I'd like to receive security guarantees for my country, for my people. If NATO members are, are ready to, to see us in the alliance, then do it immediately, because people are dying on a daily basis. But at the same time, he wants NATO to do more because he says that Ukraine is essentially fighting not only for itself, but also for European and NATO's security, that if Russia is willing to do this in Ukraine, then what's to stop them from, if they do conquer Ukraine, if they do take the whole country, what's to stop them from going even further? And a bunch of officials have told us that they don't believe that Putin's ambitions actually do stop with Ukraine. Oh, so Zelensky's saying this is just way bigger than just Ukraine. Right. And they, they've been saying over the last several weeks that it is very important for them to keep the conflict contained to Ukraine. And that is why they're so reluctant to do anything that could have this conflict kind of spiral out of control to include implementing that no-fly zone, to include putting ground forces inside Ukraine. They they want to make sure that this does not spill over into the rest of Europe. Um, but at the same time, they're grappling with the reality that accidents happen. So I recently got to go up in a NATO surveillance plane. What they were doing was they were kind of flying circles over the Ukrainian-Polish border, monitoring Ukrainian airspace and looking at the Russian activity there. So you see Kaliningrad over here. This all here to the west is uh, Poland. What we saw in this plane uh, on the radar that the NATO airmen were showing us was that Belarus has actually been playing a far larger role in this conflict uh, than I think many people understand, including allowing Russian planes to take off actually from, from Belarus itself. Sometimes there are some, some certain periods on a day um, which are not on a regular basis where we do have a lot of activity getting in, like a, a, a larger package with uh, 10 to perhaps 20 aircraft coming in from the Belarusian airspace into uh, Ukraine. So what we saw was that these planes are taking off from Belarusian airspace and entering Ukrainian airspace in order to take part in that conflict uh, for the Russians. And uh -huh. it was unclear to the airmen whether these were Belarusians flying the aircraft or Russians because they both actually used the same kind of plane. Um, but as of right now, the Pentagon says that it has no indications that the Belarusians are actually taking part in the conflict. So the, the Belarusians are essentially allowing the Russians to use their country as a staging ground for the war. Wow. And it certainly seems like there, you know, that kind of stuff. And there's just a high risk for, you know, accidents, miscalculations to spark something bigger. And what what about drones as it relates to the airspace around Ukraine? You've been doing some reporting on that. What is the concern when it comes to drones? Yeah. So there have been a series of drone incidents over the last several weeks. And it's really interesting because they don't seem to have been caught uh, by these NATO member countries. Uh, so one drone flew into Romania um, and crashed there. And it's really unclear kind of where it came from, but it's believed to be either a Ukrainian or a Russian drone. And then there was another one that flew about 350 miles west of Ukraine's westernmost border out of that conflict zone and into Croatia. And it had a bomb on it, actually. Oh. And it crashed and thankfully no one was hurt. Um, and then there was another drone, a third drone, that entered Ukraine via Polish airspace and it's unclear how that kind of got past, uh, you know, the radar and the detection systems. Um, so, you know, this is all part of why NATO is so nervous right now. These drones 
um, if if one were to enter NATO airspace and were to be detected and had to be shot down, what would that mean for the wider conflict? Would that create uh, some kind of spiraling situation that got out of control? Or do these drones pose, could they in the future pose a significant threat to any one of these countries? How is the NATO alliance prepared to deal with something like this? And it's it's become a big matter of concern. And I think that's why we're seeing all of these meetings happening in succession. We saw um, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, here at NATO last week. We saw the Secretary of State here the week before. And of course, the Secretary of Defense is actually traveling this week again to NATO uh, with President Biden, who is also, I should say, going to Poland this week as well. Um, so really, the NATO alliance has had to grapple with the biggest security threat uh, to it, you know, in many, many years. And that's that's really the root cause of all these conversations now. More with Natasha after the break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Can we do a reality check on the Russian side of this here? Because I, I, I think this has been going on for a while. We tend to lose sight of, of what actually may be happening on the ground. How have they fared so far in terms of their combat strategy? What is NATO saying about uh, how this war has gone for them thus far? They've not been doing well. Um, they've been doing surprisingly badly. They've lost thousands and thousands of soldiers over the last month of this war. And it's been really surprising, uh, not only to us, but also likely to Vladimir Putin himself, according to the officials that we speak to, mm. because they originally thought that this was going to be a fairly easy operation, that they would be able to take Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine, within a matter of days. And it's been almost a month and they have not yet even come close, really. I mean, they are stalled outside of Kyiv. They are stalled in many other areas of the country uh, they had hoped to capture. And they have not been able to successfully maintain any kind of momentum in their operations 
um, just given a lot of confusion that's been going on on the ground. So the commanders really aren't talking to each other. Their communications equipment is subpar, and they've had to use cell phones in many instances. Cell phones? There is no cell phones. There is no theater-wide commander on the ground that the U.S. can identify anyway that's actually calling all the shots for the entire war. Um, And all of this is kind of just leading to this perfect storm. And I should also mention that it's unclear whether they even have basic resources like food. I mean, we reported earlier this month that the Russians had actually asked the Chinese uh, for help feeding the Russian troops in Ukraine. So, you know, all of this has contributed to a stalemate, uh, according to one NATO official who we spoke to earlier this week, uh, who told us that the Ukrainians have put up a much fiercer resistance than the Russians thought. The Russians thought this would only be a couple days, maybe a week at most, that they would be in the country. Therefore, they didn't prepare for a long sustained conflict. And uh, the Russian aircraft has failed to actually take control over Ukrainian airspace. So the skies are still contested, which, of course, is a very key part of this war. And so given that the Russians have struggled so mightily here and, you know, are kind of bogged down, is there any chance of diplomacy here as, you know, NATO officials see it? Or is this something that Vladimir Putin will just take to the end until the Ukrainians get too tired and too depleted and you know, kind of wear out? What kind of endgame do we see here? Well, it's very unclear. So the Russians and the Ukrainians have been talking. Uh, I should note that Zelensky and Putin have not been talking directly, but their delegations have been. They've conducted about four rounds of those negotiations so far. But the, the, the party's positions are just very far apart right now, according to the officials that we speak to. The Russians want the full demilitarization of Ukraine. They want uh, Ukraine to commit to never becoming a member of NATO. They are calling for uh, Ukraine to recognize the territories in eastern Ukraine that have been uh, taken over by pro-Russian separatists. And just all of these demands that Ukraine says would completely violate the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine and that it cannot allow. Meanwhile, Ukraine is calling for a full ceasefire and the full withdrawal of Russian troops. Um, And of course, the Russians have no intention, it seems, of pulling back at this point, despite all of the losses that they have incurred over the last month. And so U.S. and Western officials that we speak to really don't see any reason for optimism here. Um, And so that's why we see a potential stalemate emerging is because, you know, the Russians have been bringing in this kind of heavier weaponry, these dumb bombs and bombing cities into submission in an attempt to get what they want without actually having to make any concessions of their own. So then, I guess, bringing it back to this NATO summit, what further actions can be taken then if this is going to grind to a stalemate? What else is there to do that would get Putin to change his ways? (laughs) It's a great question. Um, They are hoping to impose more sanctions and arm the Ukrainians to the teeth uh, even more than they already have. Um, The Ukrainians say that they need more. Uh, Obviously, the NATO member countries have been providing them with weapons like air defense systems and javelin missiles and ammunition and body armor and things that the Ukrainians have been saying they need, obviously, but that they need in far greater quantities in order to sustain this fight. Because while the Russians have been having difficulty resupplying, they also just have far greater reserves 
than the Ukrainians do at this point, and just kind of a far far greater uh, military power in general, despite the shambles that they've been uh, on the ground there. And what the NATO members are saying is, look, the farthest that we can go at this point, um, and we'll see if this changes, if, for example, there is uh, an attack by the Russians using chemical weapons, for example, or another weapon of mass destruction, that could really change uh, the European and NATO calculus here. But they're saying that at this point that we are at in the war, the, the farthest that they're willing to go is to send them uh, weaponry. And I should note, not even all of the, the weapons that they want. Of course, we saw that the Ukrainians had been asking for fighter jets um, and you know S-300 surface-to-air missile systems. Um, the fighter jets, unclear whether they'll get them. The, the missile systems, well, you know, they're only now starting to get them. So the NATO members are limited in, in what they're willing to do at this point. Yeah, is, is, you know, is a visit by the American president, all this unity that we see, you know, is it anything more than symbolic, just showing up that we stand for democracy and peace and the other guy doesn't? And beyond that, it's kind of up to Vladimir Putin. Is that kind of where we are right now? If Vladimir Putin wants to continue this war in Ukraine, really the only thing that the U.S. and NATO can do is implement punitive measures, right, and try to make it as costly for Putin as possible by sending in weapons to Ukraine and implementing sanctions. Yeah, and it's been plenty costly for both sides when it comes to human lives lost. Natasha Bertrand there in Brussels, thanks so much. Thank you. Now, there is one more bit of news I want to mention this week concerning vocal Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny. He was found guilty of fraud on Tuesday and sentenced to nine more years in a maximum security prison. You might remember a few years back, Navalny fell mysteriously ill, and CNN's Clarissa Ward wondered if President Vladimir Putin could be behind it. You can hear more about Navalny's story and Clarissa's investigation on a previous episode of this podcast. It's called Love Putin, and you can find it wherever you listen to the Tug of War podcast. In the meantime, we'll be releasing new episodes every Sunday and Wednesday, and for real-time updates on the war, subscribe to CNN 5 Things wherever you listen. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by me, David Rind, along with Audrey Horowitz, Nathan Miller, and Paolo Ortiz. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morse, Courtney Koop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. Talk to you next time. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. 
Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 